Hey Alexa, what's the definition of hustle? To be aggressive, especially in business or other financial dealings. You're listening to the H for Hustle podcast, designed to inspire future entrepreneurs to take the leap from working for someone else to pursue their passions and side hustles and turning them into full-fledged businesses. My name is Jerome Fenton. I'm a serial entrepreneur. Every week, I'll be speaking with an entrepreneur that has taken that leap. We'll be talking about the lessons they've learned and how they've turned their passions and side hustles into full-fledged businesses. H for Hustle Podcast, welcome back. Another illustrious episode up ahead. And on today's episode, guys, I'm giving you a flashback episode. This is one of my favorite episodes. It's Justin Rokosh, co-founder of Optima Moving. You know, Optima Moving, moving is not a sexy industry. It's not a glamorous industry, but it's a necessary industry. And Justin's business has tripled after the pandemic. So it just shows you that you can find an industry that is not sexy and is not glamorous, but you can turn it into something. And Justin's story is the perfect example of that. So I'm not going to waste too much time. I'm going to get into the episode right now. Boom. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of H for Hustle. Um, I have a really great guest on today, uh, Justin Rokach. Now, before I actually have him talk, I was really blown away by Justin's story because he took like a very minuscule business, like a business that most people wouldn't think about and carved a niche for himself in a very, very specific space. He took the moving industry, cleaned it up, made it an honest business, and then made a very big path for himself. So, um, Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks. Happy to uh, thank well, so happy to be here. All right. So let's go back a little bit, right? Um, you know, I, I don't believe anyone says they're gonna start a moving company when they're like, you know, 14 years old. So let's go back to high school. If I was your friend back in high school, who would you have been then? Who was I in high school? Yeah. Wow, I don't know if I should answer this. <laughs> like the people. Uh, I was I was the tr- I was I was the yeah, I was a troublemaker. I was a real bad troll. I wouldn't say that I was a bully because I was like uh, very much the opposite. You know, like in, in high school, it didn't matter who it was. I was I was kind of friendly with everyone. And actually, that just came back recently. Um, girl that I'm dating now uh, was bartending, and she ran into this girl. She was kind of like a punk in high school. Mm-hmm. Had like different color hair all the time, and um, you know, she ran to her at a bar, and she was like, "Oh my God, you're you're dating Justin." I remember him; he was super nice, even though I wasn't cool and I wasn't popular. Like he was always so nice to me, and we'd hang out and, you know, smoke cigarettes outside or, you know, whatever it was. And you know, she it meant a lot to her. This is like 15 years after high school. Wow. Yeah. She like remembered that about me, which I thought was awesome. Um, but you know, that being said, you know, I was certainly, uh, you know, a scary person. No, nobody wanted to mess with me when I when I was in high school. Really? Um, I got arrested. Like in 10th grade for fighting in the hallway and wow. like, just like little little things like that and you know people knew I, I ran with a with a really bad crowd and although I wasn't the baddest of them just me being, being in, in like crowd. in that crowd like people uh, kind of projected gotcha. uh, I would say that most people in high school did not think that I was going to go to college didn't think I was going to do anything with myself um, when I was in high school I was actually working for moving companies uh, huh. and so everyone kind of just and myself included thought that I was just going to be a mover you know gotcha. um, so you just yeah. so you came from the back kid and you were just working. So you'd work these moving jobs like on the weekends or like. So uh, it's it started out uh, actually when I was fourteen, 
kind of builds off of the story that I was just telling you was when I was 14, my, uh, my dad and mom caught me smoking pot. Okay. And so good age at, to at, start. at that point, yeah, well, <laughs> truth is I started when I was 12, but they didn't catch me until I was 14. Um, but they had punished me and grounded me so many times. And at this point, uh, they were like, you know what, we're going to send him to his room. He's going to leave his room and he's going to end up smoking pot again. So, uh, my dad had a friend that owned a moving company, and so he asked the friend if he would enlist me in slave labor. And so, <laughs> was uh, that the exact term? Yeah, he was, he was like, "Hey, listen, I have a, I have my son. He's a trash bag. Can uh -huh. you like straighten him out, and he'll work for you for free?" Wow. And so this was during the summer, uh -huh. uh, obviously, and. So I worked for a week that, that was supposed to be a punishment and I was, you know, on the truck working nine, 10 hour days, you know, it's 110 degrees outside, I'm schlepping boxes, moving furniture, and they thought this was a punishment. But to me, I was like, all these guys on the trucks are smoking weed. <laughs> you know, so we're like, so I'm, so I'm on the trucks. And you know, it, it's, for me, I always, I've always been physical, I've always been athletic, and you know, I liked, you know, moving furniture and lifting things. And um, at the end of the week, uh, I just told told my dad's friend. I said, "Hey, listen, I wouldn't mind doing this for the rest of the summer if you'll, you know, pay me." Yeah. And uh, I ended up making a ton of money, especially for a fourteen year old. Yeah. Um, I was making like eight dollars an hour, but tips at the end of the day were like sixty bucks, Whoa. you know, seventy bucks for yeah. these tips. And that's cash every and, day. And that's cash. And the eight dollars an hour for me was a lot of money at, at fourteen years old. And I ended up sticking with it. So I ended up doing that. Uh, on weekends and spring break and winter break and summers, uh, just all to keep money in your pocket. Yeah, and I made, and I made it a ton of it. And you also had a place now you can smoke freely. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And all the guys on the truck were, you know, they were getting high before work, and I was like, okay, I'll hit that. You know, um, <laughs> that's so cool. So it was, it was fun. It was, it was a lot of fun. And it, it, so it taught what me a meant lot. to be a punishment turned into like your future. It, it did, and that, it's such a cool story. Like thinking back, but you know, you asked me about. Um, or you mentioned that most 14 year olds or most people are not thinking about turning you know, their job or the moving thing into yeah. a business. The reality is, is that you know, I, I thought about it so much from like when I was 14, 15 and 16 years old and I had a, a couple of meetings when I was 18 um, I didn't want to go to college. Okay. And uh, you were kind of living up to everyone's expectations. Right. I, did, I, had, I had no intention to go to college. Okay. I really was like, this is it. You know, my dad was a small business owner. I want to be a small business owner. I know this industry. I've been in it for a long time. I have friends that are in this industry. Uh, and so I remember having a couple of meetings with people discussing how we we're going to get started, how we we're going to get licensing. Um, and then I ended up not going to high school and I just worked full time for a moving company until I was about 21. So you didn't go to college? Uh, I ended up going to college when I was 21. Okay. So you took. I took a couple four years, years of just learning the actual industry. Yeah, I mean, it was longer than that, but yeah. So, uh, but full time, yeah. So it ended up being about three years uh, after high school. So was, was that intentional? Like, hey, let me learn as much as I can for these three years, or you were just like, fuck it, it just pays and it's a good time and that's it. So by the time by the time I graduated high school and I was working full time, I was probably making about eighty, ninety thousand dollars a year working for this moving company. Oh wow! Which is you know it's a lot of money for a nineteen year old. So to Time. me, I was like. I know kids that are graduating college after four years and making $50,000 a year. I'm not fucking doing that. Yeah, you know? you're making way more. I was making a ton of money and I loved what I did. You know, okay. I, I, loved, I loved that every single day. I'm on a truck going to different places. I was doing a lot of long distance also. So I could wake up one day and find myself in Washington, D.C. or Florida or Texas or California. Gotcha. And, and since you had no family, no kids, nothing, you could just take those yeah, trips just, all the time. I was just taking, I was taking the trips. And, um, you know, it, it was really a great experience, but, it, you know, it taught me a lot. Uh, and then once I was 21 and I realized that my circle of friends had not changed much mm -hmm. and they were also not in college, but not as work oriented as I was. Um, and I ended up living with, you know, I had a, a house with three other guys um, and they actually two of them were movers as well. 
And uh, at some point, you know, my mom and dad were kind of on my butt a lot, like, hey, Justin, like, you're a nice Jewish boy. You shouldn't be a mover. You need to go to college. You can be a doctor. You're so smart, this and that. And, I, and at the time, I had a friend who just finished up his undergrad and was going to med school. And I'm like, I'm, f- I'm fucking smarter than him. Like, yeah. I, can, I can go to school and I don't have to live this lifestyle. And I just. Uh, was it more it because the moving thing was just wasn't good for your parents to talk to about with their friends or you felt like a bum making that type of money doing that type of work? So the, the reality is, is that, the, you know, when I was working for those type of companies, it was it was a disgusting industry. It was it was a scam. And I was, you know, the messenger. Go of, into of that a little bit more. So what was happening and it's, it's a huge thing. It's been going on for about 15 years. Um, the moving scam basically starts out with people who don't have uh the background to do research on things that they're doing. So mm-hmm. they'll end up putting some information into the internet. That information gets sent to about six or seven different moving companies. And the companies that were, you know, generally around the vicinity that I was working in would call up a client and say, hey, by the way, I, I just received your request for a quote. Uh, just so you know, a move like yours typically will cost somewhere between 500 and $600. And then my job would be to go to the person's house on move day once they've scheduled the move and kind of have them blindly fill out a bunch of paperwork, contracts, uh, basically sign their lives away. And then from there, figure out how I can charge the most amount of money for that move, ultimately get everybody's or all of their things onto the truck, close the door of the truck, get to the new home, hand them a bill for $2,000, $2,500. And if they didn't pay that bill, then we wouldn't unload the truck. We'd basically hold their stuff hostage. So, oh, that makes so much sense. So now I can see why your parents are like, you're a scammer, right. you're running a scam business. I don't right. want you to be a part of that. Although you're right. making a shit ton of money. Right, but it's, it's not in the right way. You know, I was making you know, 15 to 16% of all the overages. So if there was an, a, a job that was estimated for $500 and I charged $2,500, then I would make 16% on that $1,500 excess. Wow. And then plus I was getting an hourly rate. Plus I was also you know, good enough at my job that I'd also get tipped at the end of the day. Uh, wow. And on top of that, the companies that I worked for didn't have full-time employees. So we would pick up you know, random day people, day laborers, and I would ultimately take their tips and put that in my pocket also because they didn't know what they were doing. And they're, they're not going to be back tomorrow. So they're not going to be back tomorrow. Exactly. So, you know, a, a $200 tip that should be split between four people, you know, I was pocketing 150 of it and giving them 50 to split. Plus I was getting $200 in commission. Plus I was getting $200 in my hourly. Wow. So I, at 19 years old, I was making between 500 and $1,000 a day. But you're scanning people left and right to do Right. It. But I had a lot of grown people cry hysterically to me. You know, I had, you know, why are you, you doing this? Stuff I, I got my stuff. I can't afford this. I was supposed to use this money for uh, Disneyland with my kids. And now my move is so much more. And to me at the time, you know, I was very young and I, because I was doing it for so long from when I was 14 and even before I became a supervisor and, I, and there were people above me that were doing it, I guess I got numb to it. Mm-hmm. And then once I hit like 20, 21, when I decided to go back to school, really the reason I decided to do that was because I couldn't live with, with it anymore. Like it started to hit me like this isn't right. Yeah. You know, it didn't feel like like it, was it didn't feel it. good. Yeah. It didn't feel good. You know, when I was younger, I, I don't think I, I really understood the repercussions of what we yeah. were doing. And also it was easy to say, I'm just here doing my job. It's the company's fault and they're giving the low estimates. It's a $2,000 move anyway. They're just... You know, it's on their end. Yeah, yeah. But ultimately, just being a part of it, I didn't feel right. And I, I guarantee it's probably part of the system. Like, blame the office, blame blame the man. The quote, exactly. Like, I'm just a worker. Exactly. Know? Yeah. Exactly. So, um, got you. So now you went to college. So you decided to study medicine. I'm guessing. I did. Yeah. So I yeah. So I went to uh, <laughs> I, went, I went to Rutgers and I got my degree in exercise physiology and bio. Okay. Uh, and the idea was, you know, at the time, um, 
I had a great chiropractor and I kind of like wanted to either do chiropractic or physical therapy. Okay. Um, and then once I finished up at Rutgers, uh, very quickly I realized that that wasn't my, wasn't life for me. I just, I knew I couldn't work for somebody else. I just had this entrepreneurial mentality and, gotcha. um, I just did, I didn't see myself so working for So did you else. stay working with a moving company through college or you just kind of abandoned it all? I, I abandoned it all together. I ended up, um, I ended up bartending actually through gotcha. college for the most part. Uh, and then once I got out of college, you know, I just decided to get back into the industry and make a few bucks because I, you know, I had student loans mm -hmm. and I was like, you know what, before I go take on, um, uh, you know, take on physical therapy school or chiropractic school, let me make some money first. And pay this debt down. This, I mean, this is what I set out loud, uh -huh. but in my mind, I knew I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna go. You know, it was kind of, yeah. you know, you subconsciously. Like you lip service. Yeah, I was, I was subconsciously like, I'm gonna end up back in the moving industry, you know, but kind of telling everyone else, like, yeah, just kind of do this for a little bit until. So what was about the moving industry that was like calling you back so much? I just knew that every company that, I worked for seven different companies, um, you know, over the course of, of my, you know, moving career, if you wanna mm -hmm. call it that. And every single company just did it wrong. Like mm -hmm. there were so many things that it was, in my mind you can do the right way and make money and build a legitimate business. And also I saw that there were all these, I, had, I worked for one company that had nine trucks and the fact that they had all of these people who you know, wanted their stuff or didn't care whether their stuff was taken you know, care of properly or didn't care enough to do research, didn't think it was a big deal, I thought to myself, there's gotta be a group of people who do give a fuck. Yeah. There has to be a group of people who have nice furniture, have nice things, who want a good company, who want a reputable company, who want trained tra professionals, tradesmen, people who take this thing seriously. Like you did. Right, because I took it seriously. Yeah. You know, I, I respected, you know, even though the, the, what we were doing was a sham, as far as the quality of work goes, I respected the job so much and wanted to make sure that every job was seamless. A, because that's just who I am. Everything that I do, I do to the fullest. Mm -hmm. But also because at the end of the day, I wanted to be able to justify how much I was overcharging these people. Gotcha. So in my mind, yes, maybe it's not what you were expecting, but I definitely gave you a $2,000 move and you know it in the back of your mind. Yeah, there's the quality of there's it. A, yeah, exactly, gotcha. exactly. So, so uh, yeah, so I mean, How did you then say, all right, I'm gonna go back into this, but I'm gonna start this differently. Like, let's start from that step when you're like, I'm gonna do a moving company, but I'm gonna do it differently. What was that like? So there, there was a, my, my business partner now, he was also in the same situation. Started working for moving companies super young, and we'd worked together at a couple of different companies and became friends. Mm -hmm. um, and when I came back after college, he was a sales guy. He was a top sales guy at the moving company I was working for, and I was you know, the top site supervisor. Uh, and he really came up with the idea of the flat rates. Um, and so he was kind of whispering in my ear, hey, Justin, we can do this, we can crush it, I'll do the sales, you do the moving, um, and we'll, we'll at least make more money doing it for ourselves than we will if we're doing it you know, for, for this guy. Gotcha. And uh, so after a couple of months, I was like, you know what, let's, let's do it. You know, and I, I didn't have any money, I just got so out of college. So how did you guys get a truck or like? It, you know, we ended up, uh, so he, he ended up coming up with some investment money, we bought a truck, it was like $18,000 or something like mm -hmm. that. Uh, and then licensing was a couple of thousand, but I only came out of pocket like six grand and that's all I had. But mm -hmm. I was like, you know what? I, okay. At the time it meant a lot to me, but I was like, I'm all in. I yeah. pushed in my chips, <laughs> you, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, but it, it was six G's, right? There's <laughs> nothing to lose. Um, so we got started and he, you know, had a couple of leads just cause he had been doing sales for 10 years and we were doing a lot of like cold calling and our first month, I think we did 12 or 13 moves. Uh, and then after six months, you know, we found that people really loved the idea of this flat guaranteed price, you know, cause. So then you coined yourself on that. Yeah, so our whole business model was being able to give people guaranteed prices for their moves. So we tell somebody that the job is $1,500 
and it was $1,500 no matter how long it took, no matter how much material we used, no matter how many flights of stairs that you had, we had zero additional fees. And most people have heard of the moving scam, mm-hmm. you know, or had a fr- or it happened to them, or they had a friend that it's happened to. So they were very, you know, weary about movers to begin with. And then we came in and educated them on the moving scam and how this happens and what kind of red flags are being raised. When they talk to other movers, they'd be like, oh, Justin told me about this. And Justin told me about yeah. that. And so we ended up picking up a, a decent amount of, of client base. So that, that's very similar to what I did with my cleaning company. So the carpet cleaning industry is very similar. Yep. They say they'll come in, uh, you see like a discounted thing, 50 bucks for a room. You're like, oh, I get two rooms done, 100 bucks. And then there's gum on the floor, deodorizing. They charge you for all those things. Mm-hmm. And what we did, we decided to take a little bit different approach and just give them a flat rate. Like, hey, you got gum, you got this, you got that. Here's a flat cost, whatever it is. And just doing that, we were able just to like penetrate the market space so quickly yep. because we were just giving upfront pricing. So yep. and, and being honest about it. So you took like a dirty industry and just cleaned it up a little bit. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And, and you know, we, we immediately had a target on our backs from the beginning because there were all these companies that A we worked for and they didn't want to see us succeed in the first place. Because mm-hmm. like, you know, we branched out, we took what we learned from them and now we're doing our own thing. So they all wanted us to fail to begin with. Gee. And then we're educating the client base in our area as to what they're up to. So and then you're educating them and then they're moving away from them and moving towards you because you're being so honest. Exactly. It's a great exactly. business model. When you were doing the carpet cleaning, were you going out to evaluate these, these job sites? Be- yeah, yeah. So we okay. would go there and do like an estimate first and just say, hey, listen, this is what people are going to tell you. You can call around to other places. They're going to tell you a flat rate, but when they come in, they're not going to deodorize. They're not going to gum. They're not going to scotch guard. And we said, we'll do all of that, but our prices are just going to be a little bit higher. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah so that's exactly what, what our thing was, was that you know, all these other companies, they were taking, giving quotes over the phone. Mm-hmm. They weren't even going in to evaluate. And so they didn't so, even know if it was on the sixth floor or what it was, nothing. Right, and they would make it a point not to ask those questions. You know, if somebody volunteered that information, then it would be like, okay, well, we, we're not going to make money off the of stairs. But mm-hmm. if you don't ask and they don't tell you, when you show up and you're like, oh, I didn't know it was on the sixth floor, $175 per flight. Boom, got them. Gotcha. You know, it's so it just shows that you could take an industry that's like kind of been in its ways for a long time and just be honest and yeah. you literally are changing the industry. I, I, you know, I joke about it all the time and the thing that I say the most is that all I had to do was do the opposite of everything that everybody else was doing and, and boom. It, boom, it was fucking genius. <laughs> you know, it was that you're, simple. You were a trailblazer. Yeah, exactly. I didn't create the wheel but I just, you know, made the wheel not square. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> everyone's like, you're a genius. Exactly. Um, so this podcast, uh, really love this, that story um, and, you know, your company now, how many people you guys employ? We have 32 full-time employees. 32, wow. And how many trucks you guys have on the road now? We have, we have eight uh, like eight official trucks. Yeah. Um, but we, we do use a lot of rentals. You know, a lot of times we have some uh, additional crews that we need. And, you know, yeah, our, our uh, Josh, who's our operations manager and actually our, our partner now, we've uh, given him a, a quite a bit of equity in the company. Yeah. So he's a business partner at this point. Um, he has his hands out everywhere and knows everybody. So though I have 32 guys, or 32 employees, rather, because some of them are office staff and salespeople, but uh, 26 full-time movers, um, if we need 31, you know, he has his hands everywhere, has connections, and he'll find another seven movers gotcha. uh, from different companies he's affiliated with. And uh, so we'll end up renting some trucks. We also only use rental trucks for long distance moves. Yeah. Uh, we found that people aren't happy when you tell them that you're gonna deliver on the first and your truck breaks down somewhere in Virginia. <laughs> and then, you know, the shop kind of like 
grabs your truck up and they're like, oh, well, you're based in New Jersey, it's $4,000 or it's gonna take six days to get the part and then the delivery seven days later. So with uh, you know a Penske rental or a budget rental, well, yeah. if we break down in the middle of Tennessee, there's a Penske or a budget somewhere around. And, and they can send out another They'll one. send out another truck, we'll swap loads and then we make sure that we make our delivery time every single time. Got you, smart. You probably gave away too much of a gem right there. Ooh, maybe, <laughs> maybe. But the reality is that it's expensive. So yeah, yeah. you know a lot of people are trying to cut costs, use their own trucks, but uh, we just find that a seamless uh, transaction is much more important. Got you. So this podcast is to inspire people who are sitting in an office dying like a, a slow death and I mean, they're trying to, or they want to take a leap. So what would you tell a Justin right now that's, he's, he's, not, he's not the greatest kid in high school and he's probably working at some industry right now, you know, maybe a locksmith or he's a plumber. I, he's working with his uncle doing you know, construction. What would you tell that guy right now? Would you say stay the course, switch? What would you say? I mean, take, I, th- I think take the leap, right? Especially, especially if you're in that type of industry. If you're doing, you know, like if you're a locksmith or you're a plumber, like that that job is never going to go away. Mm-hmm. You know, if it doesn't work out for you in a year or two, you can always go back and be a plumber again, working for somebody else, or you know. But ultimately, if you're working for yourself, even if you're not doing a ton of work, you're going to make a lot more money on those on those small jobs. And that's kind of how I looked at it from the beginning was. You know, I, I never in, intended to build a, a large company, and I don't think my business partner did did either. We just kind of figured, you know, if right now I'm making this money on these jobs and he's taking a profit uh, as well, then I can take that profit, even if it's only on a couple of jobs. And that was really the end goal. Just you know? make some money. It just makes just make some money, and then slowly you'll kind of find yourself in this place where people are telling other people like, hey, this guy did great work, and he's super cheap, right? Because mm-hmm. in the beginning you don't have any overhead, yeah. So it's very easy to kind of like. Uh, you know, come in super low. And then as your client base builds and people spread the word, you do more jobs for people. They tell their friends who tell their friends who tell their friends who tell their friends, you know, it might take some time. But, you know, at this point, I, like we don't knock on doors anymore. We don't make cold calls anymore. I mean, people, just my phone, I, I turned away a half million dollars worth of work this summer wow. just because I was so booked up. I couldn't, I couldn't take it. You just literally just. I just. Think. I couldn't. I can't do it. Sorry, we're booked. You know, and that we. That was. That was the the mantra. Every time I picked up the phone for all of August. Sorry, we don't have availability. Bye. Click. Like, <laughs> and and it's really. It just comes from doing the right thing, being honest. Open you know, door. knowing when you should take a loss. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most important thing. There have been jobs that I've done for two thousand dollars that I've ended up paying back three thousand dollars because we messed something up, and not being scared to do that. You know, if you if you win ninety percent of the time, or even eighty percent of the time, if you lose on twenty percent of your jobs, you have to be okay with that, yeah. because they're not going to go ahead and write a bad review about you on Yelp. They're not going to go ahead and tell their friend who's going to tell their friend who's going to tell their friend that these guys are a bunch of shitheads who didn't give me money when they made a mistake. Or you made you know, a very good point that most people in the beginning don't really know. Like sometimes not taking a job is as good as taking a job, yeah. and like knowing yeah. like I that's a loss that I'm willing to take and walk away from. I ju- I just got the chills as you said that yeah. and that, that's the realest thing and there, there are a lot of times that you see some big money jobs that in the back of your mind you're like this could be really problematic this could really go down the wrong mm-hmm. way and don't don't take that chance yeah trust you know, me I I've, have we've went on carpet cleaning jobs and then eventually one of the guys reversed the van into the garage, broke the garage, our machines messed up the floor. So now we end up at the replace the carpet we came in to clean right. and a garage door. Right. And you were just chasing like three grand and you're right. like, 
it's not worth it sometimes. It's, it's not worth it. And the, and the reality is, is that right now in this time, it's so dangerous to fuck up. Yeah. It's so dangerous because you, you fuck up once and it's on Instagram and it's on Facebook and it's on Yelp and it's on, you know, Google. And, and magnified. Like, and it doesn't matter how many good reviews you, because people are always skeptical of good reviews. Yeah. You look at a place and you see a bunch of good reviews. Something's wrong. So, eh, you know, so, something's probably up. But as soon as that one bad review comes up, they're like, yeah. ah, see, that's probably how they normally practice. <laughs> see, you know? that's that's so funny because when I buy something on Amazon, I evaluate on how many bad reviews, not what the bad review says, but like the ratio. So it's 25 good reviews, five bad. I'm like, okay, split in the middle. It's good. Right. Like, it's good enough for me. Like, so so that that's that's one way to look at it. And what, what I always advise people, and it's in the, whether it's moving or it's carpet cleaning or whatever it is, is not necessarily to look at the ratio because you don't know how many good reviews are fake, mm -hmm. right? The reality is that bad reviews generally are not. No. They're not made up. Yeah. Um, but take a look at that bad review and read the context of it. Because a lot of times you read these bad reviews and it's just a shitty person, yeah. right? You know, a, a dresser got dinged up. We're moving. That's you're, you're, Even if you moved it, that was going to happen. I mean, listen, th th things happen sometimes, yeah. right? But if you read something where, you know, it's something to do with the business model, right? Or the customer service or how they dealt with it afterwards. Or did this person yell at you or scream at you or treat you like, you know, sure, uh, yeah. you know the way that they shouldn't have? Or, you know, they gave me an estimate for $600 and then bill came out to $1,700. That is not an accident. Yeah. That is not like... You know, a chip happened on my table. That's like, how like, they operate. That's how they operate, right? There, there, there's definitely room for mistakes. Nobody's perfect. Yeah. You know, I would never tell you that we don't do damage. I mean, listen, damage happens sometimes. My guys are great. We take above and beyond precautions to make sure that everything runs smoothly. But when it does happen, we make sure that we take care of it, mm -hmm. right? And you'll never see somebody writing a review about, you know, we were hiding things or like running our business. And people love the way that we conduct our business and our customer service. That's the most important thing. Yeah, that's one of the hugest things, like get to know your customers because one, they become your referral source and not in a way like they're telling their friends. They're telling their friends just based on the service that they got. Like, man, these movers came in, it was great. And those little things stay in somebody's head, you know, like, oh, these guys came in and cleaned my my carpet at the last minute and you yeah. know and that was a thing that they were like whoa okay that plants in somebody's head and then they eventually say you know you had you were telling me about those carpet cleaning guys one day yeah. and now I need my carpet's clean and now it's it's not like a direct referral it's right. like them just talking about their service and the rea the reality is that people don't remember dollar amounts mm. right like how much did you pay for those pants that you're wearing I, right I now no, no idea where'd you even get them from <laughs> no idea but what I can tell you is that even though, yes, my prices are a little bit higher than market than, than the average market value, a year from now, you're not going to remember how much you paid, but you will remember the amazing experience that you had start to finish you with your because brother. you're blown away. Yeah. And how that also helps, you know, as, as a small business owner is that at some, at some point you're going to start networking with people who are referral sources mm -hmm. for you. For me, it's real estate agents, for mm -hmm. example, you know, real estate agents, they have, you know, 20 people a year who are moving, you know, they're buying a property, renting a property, you know, whatever it is. And when the clients that use me go back to the realtor and thank them up and down, oh my God, this experience was so great. Mm -hmm. The guys were great. So good. It makes them look good, so they feel good about referring you, and they also want to refer you more because they want to show that they're also an asset in a different way. Mm -hmm. So by having the, your client have an, a great experience all the way around, all the way around, they're going to rave to whoever referred them. Yeah, and they're also going to say, "This guy who got me this house got me this moving service," and they're going to say, "Who is that person that got you the house again?" Right. And it's going to trickle back to the business over and over. E and over. Exactly. And yeah. the thing is, when you have a good, ex an all-around amazing experience. With something you can tell when you're talking to somebody like oh yeah i will use these guys mm -hmm. or 
holy shit these guys did these guys were and you like you see somebody light up and that kind of like manifests inside of you as you're listening to this and you're like whoa i want that yeah so when i was building business um i built my first cleaning business we read this book together with all my co-founders with me it's called raving fan and the book is about like becoming making sure that your customers become a raving fan of your service yeah and like kind of go above and beyond just like if you went to the apple store or you got moved to optimum moving (laughs) right (laughs) you have this raving like fan thing about you and you can't stop talking about exactly. it and then those just become like a referral system like, exactly. over and exactly. over and over and I, you know, I bring up the referral source but you know in reality it's it's true for anybody you know you move one person you don't know how many friends they have yeah. you know and I've had if you read my reviews you know on Yelp or Google or move, mymovingreviews.com uh, People take so much time to just like write this outstanding review about how amazing their experience was. Like all, we, all we really do is move, pick stuff up, and put it in. I mean, it's more than that because we go above and beyond. We wrap, we create, we you know we're doing full packing services. Mm-hmm. We you know disassemble, reassemble, we'll hoist you know a seven hundred pound piece of furniture off of a third floor balcony. I mean, we do some amazing stuff, but ultimately. You know, it's it's an industry that you never heard somebody rave about. Yeah, you, you know? definitely. That's why I loved your story so much because you took again such an industry and like cleaned it up and made it such a way for yourself. Right. Um, how much of your business was your smarts or was it your hustle? Would you say was it fifty percent smarts, fifty percent hustle? How much of it was just fucking gun ho going for energy? So here here's the reality: is that I would say it's fifty percent smarts, fifty mm-hmm. percent hustle. But that's the beautiful thing about having a symbiotic relationship with your business partner, mm-hmm. because he's for sure the smarts. The guy is, which is funny, because he's a two-time high school dropout. But he is the smartest, <laughs> the smartest fucking yeah. guy in, in in the world. And he uh, is a micromanager, and he really just knows how to do things right. And for me, I was the hustle. You know, in the beginning, I was on the trucks, I was moving the furniture, I was doing sales, I was you know uh, picking up guys at you know at five o'clock in the morning. I didn't mind working 100 and 120 hours a week. Wow. Um, you know, I was working seven days a week for the first four years that we were in business. Jeez. Never fucking stopped. And it was tiring. It was exhausting. But I just, in my mind, I'm like, if everyone else is working 40 to 50 hours a week, if I do 100 to 120, then I'm going to have a leg up in three years because it's like the equivalent of six years of work. Yeah. My business partner is, again, way smarter than I am. And so his intellect and my hustle. Um, and he hustles also, don't get me wrong, he also hustles, but like, I was definitely the workhorse in the yeah. beginning. Um, but he wrapped systems around but he hustle. Exactly, but he made systems, he knew you know, how to do marketing, how to get clientele, how to get client bases, how to you know, sell, he's the ultimate salesman. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I, I, I listen to him on the phone with a client and like my jaw drops still to this day, we're like <laughs> seven and a half years in, and I, I'd like to think that I'm, you know, from a numbers standpoint at least, you know, we, we are pretty, pretty much on par with each other, but I hear him on the phone and I'm like, God, I mean, we, we, uh, we call him the moving Messiah and I mean it with like everything that I have, like he is, so it's, it's, it's both, it's both. And also the relationships that you have with your business partner or, you know, your employees, um, you know, it's a very important thing because ultimately your employees are always going to be the face of your business. Ultimately, who's going to show up on move day? So me, let's, let's. Cyber, you talked about your business partner a lot and in really good ways. What did you? What would you say to somebody who's they're they're tandem? They're about to start a company together. Like two tips going into a partnership because I can rattle off like a million things that they right. could do. But what are like the two biggest things? I the biggest thing is trust. Being making sure that you can trust them mm-hmm. implicitly with everything. Yeah. Right. Like 
I, I, we joke and I call him my hetero life mate, right? He's, he, I mean, we're, we're basically married. Like it's a marriage that you need to really uh, respect and know that he has your best interest and you have their best interest mm -hmm. uh, in everything. Because there's gonna be a lot of times that you have to trust this person with everything. Um, and that's the most important because as soon as you start to get those toxic thoughts, is this guy fucking me? Is this guy doing this behind my back? Mm -hmm. Then just, you're not gonna be able to operate together. So, you know, knowing 100% that no matter what happens, you can always trust them. That's, mm -hmm. I think, the most important. And what would be um, the second? The second thing that's most important, I would say, is to make sure that you're not going into business with somebody who has the same skills that you do. Yeah. Uh, and it goes back to what I was just saying. I mean, if we're both the hustler, this wouldn't never work. If yeah. we were both the intellect, the intelligent, the, the manager, the micromanager, this wouldn't have worked. But because we both carry a very different set of skills, he was able to conquer his and I was able to conquer mine. And it ended up, you know, coming out to be this yeah, beautiful thing. I would definitely say the, you know, and to add to the trust thing, the thing that helps that is spending a, you're going to spend a lot of time together in like osmosis because you're running a business, but spend time away from the yeah. business together. A lot of like friendship and you build the trust with that person a lot with that. Right. And also respecting that other person's skill set is a thing that I would definitely like to add because sometimes you can be the hustler, but you think you're an intellect and you like want to like jump in there and say some shit. I'm like, no, nah, nah, know your position. You're 100% right. Yeah, know your position. Respect that person's position is also huge. It took us some time to like get that and figure out where our dynamics were. Yeah. But once you figure out those dynamics, like respect that person and like sometimes just like fall back and refer to them. Like, no, 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 ask, ask Justin, because I don't know. Yeah. And, and, and like show them the respect that you respect what they're saying and what they're doing in, in that space. So it, I think it, was, it, was, it was a very big problem in the beginning because we, you know, we knew that we were very different but it, you know, again, in the beginning, we didn't have like this like big, big picture. Yeah. Um, but because I was doing the heavy lifting mm -hmm. and like out on the job sites and working so many hours, I'm like, oh, I work so much harder than this guy, this and that, blah, blah. And like in my mind, like, oh, he does nothing. He's just sitting on the phone all day. And he would be like, oh, I'm over here running the whole business. This guy's just a laborer. Yeah. And so there was a lot of that in the beginning. And then, you know, as this thing uh, started to grow and we started to, you know, become more successful, uh, we both kind of like took a step back and we're like, whoa. What he does, what he does is really fucking cool. Yeah. Like he really brings a lot to the table. Yeah, uh, and it took some time to get there for yeah. sure. You kind of like, and you kind of fall into these roles naturally. Yeah, you know? it's like a weird marriage that like you tend to like respect each other's space, but it takes time, just like any other marriage. It takes like a a, a rhythm. I call it like yeah. I call it like a, a work rhythm to get into. It's exactly what yeah. it is, and it took it took us about five or six years. Yeah, and and still, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, like yes, just like a marriage, we we fight sometimes yeah. and. You know, sometimes uh, I'm going on vacation and he'll send me a text message. I hope your plane drops out of the fucking air. But like, but like, I mean, that's just that's just how relationships yeah. work. You know, I, 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 I mentioned that because I'm leaving on Wednesday and he sent me like a, a gif of a bunch of people in a turbulent plane dying and, and crashing. And I was like, I love love you too, bro. <laughs> you know, but so just, you know. Let, there's someone right now sitting there they're, they're listening to this what would you tell them you, you know you said take the leap but what would you tell that person if you were talking to justin and take, you're saying hey you know what what would you say like give them direct words that you would say right now to that person uh take take the leap i i'm of i'm of the mindset that you should think small you mm -hmm. know I have, I have a lot of friends that do ask me you know quite often like you know that are looking to make that jump from corporate america uh and go into entrepreneurship and what I tell everybody is if you start thinking too big, how am I gonna make a billion dollars? How am I gonna make you know, $5 million? How am I gonna make this money? And you start thinking that way, I think it's very overwhelming. Uh, I think that if you take a step back and just have it super basic and think small, 
and slowly build. And every time you feel like you're, you know, need to expand a little bit because things are too tough, then expand a little bit and expand slowly. You know, I think when you look at the, the big picture of how am I going to make my first million, um, I think it might be overwhelming for a lot of people or if it's not working out and they're like, oh, I'm still making 50,000. Like I made $40,000 my first year, maybe, you yeah. know, maybe 60, something like that. You know, that was a step back for me as well as an employee, mm -hmm. you know, and then the next year, maybe I made 70. Maybe the next year I made like, you know, 90, but mm -hmm. you know, what in these years are going to make from 90 to 35, right? Because you need the business to grow. Yeah. You know? Right. But I mean, ultimately it wasn't, you know, I never had this mindset of let me make something big. It was like, let me just do this small thing and do it right. Mm -hmm. You know, and slowly it grew into something that was way bigger than I'd ever imagined it being. That's that's some great advice. Stay small, figure out how to be good at small. And the fundamentals are so important, yeah. right? It's something as simple as just making sure that you do it right and making sure that the customer's happy. Over and, and over and over. You do that over and over again, you multiply that by, you know, a hundred moves or you know, a thousand carpet cleanings or whatever it is, and the business is gonna grow naturally. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of you keeping up at that point. Yeah. Can you get the extra help, you know, as you need to grow? Can you and, build the systems? Can you build middle management? You know, can can you invest the money in the business when you have to? That's the big um, part. And it's just, there are opportunities everywhere. It's just a matter of you taking them uh, and making sure that you capitalize on them. Gotcha. I'd like to ask this like, final question. Um, if you could prescribe one thing to the entire world, business world, what would that be? Oh, okay, I thought, I thought you were talking about narcotics. No, 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 no. <laughs> like, a, like a thing, you know, some people say different, some people say love, some people say about different things. So what uh, would you? Gratitude. Gratitude for sure. I think um, in just being being thankful for everything that you have, being thankful for every day that you wake up, being mm -hmm. thankful for your abilities. Right? Like there was a. It's a I don't know this might be a little bit longer than you're, no, you're expecting no, no, to ask, but um, you know, there's a long time. Every every night before I go to sleep, I pray. Right? Mm -hmm. And you find that um, for a majority of my life, I'd go to sleep and I say, God, take please, you know, help me out with this or help me out with that or please, you know, uh, give me the power for this. And uh, slowly as I became more thankful for everything that I had, as you know, things were going well, I realized that rather than asking God for things, I started thanking God for things. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like something that I thought about doing, it just kind of like naturally happened where I was um, just thanking him for the ability that I have to wake up in the morning, the ability that I have to hustle, the ability that I have to talk to people, the ability that I have to walk into a room and capture a room, the ability that I had that, you know, you know my, my dog who loves me so much, my family, my friends, my business partner. Uh, and I, I just completely, and I didn't even realize it until like months later, I was like, you know what? I realized that every time when I pray at night, I'm praying and thanking him for things rather than asking for things. And I think that just really, you know, realizing what you have and what you were blessed to have mm -hmm. um, helps you in some way to kind of uh, do more. So I read a book exactly about this exact same thing. And it says that the, you know, God, universe, whatever you want to call it, if you say thank you're thankful, what it does, it tells the universe, tells God that you accepted where that is and you're happy with it. And because of that, you get more. Right, because so right. you're saying I'm happy with my dog. It's almost like your dog just becomes a nicer dog. I'm happy with right. my family. It's almost like so your family just shows you more love, right. and you keep getting more of it. And the more you complain about something in reverse to right. gratitude, it's saying that I'm not past this thing yet, and I have to learn this thing. So you keep getting more of what you complain about, right. Right. and when you say you're thankful, you keep getting more of what you're thankful right. and for. It goes into, it goes into energies, yeah. right? The energy that you have and the energy that you put out, you get back. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, it's very much to do with just positive thinking and positive vibes. And I think, I, and I didn't again, I didn't mean to do it; it just kind of happened naturally. Never, yeah. But yes, as soon as I started to put out that, you know, pos the positive vibes, 
and put out that positive energy, I feel like more positivity came back to me. Yeah, and it's just what happens. And I mean, that's a great tip for like any entrepreneur. Like, also just respect where you are. You know, like right. Yeah, you know, yeah, um, respect the process. Yeah. yeah. One of my mentors always say, "You are where you should be," and I'm, I used to hate fucking hearing that. Like, <laughs> you are where you should be. Like, no, I'm supposed to be like this fucking guy. Right. He's like, "No, you are." But where the you Bahamas are so close. Why am I not there? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not maybe not maybe not now, but <laughs> not now. Yeah, this is a bad terrible thing. example. No. <laughs> but again. You know, you are where you should be, and there's something you have to learn in that position, and that's fine. Just figure it out, and right. then kind of go from there. So, um, I like to thank you for being on this episode um, of H for Hustle. Um, any last closing words? Where can people find you? Uh, Optimum. Well, www.optimum-moving.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have an Instagram at Optimum Moving. Uh, Facebook would be Optimum Moving NJ. Uh, my personal is uh, at j.rokach uh, and that's just my personal Instagram yeah and if you go on his Instagram you'll see that Justin's also uh, an amateur male model <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for getting on the uh, show real quick if you guys do want to call in for a quote or tell your friends uh, about us uh, the main number is 855-315-MOVE Got you. And you move all over the United States. Yeah. So actually our, our, uh, our, our region um, where we move locally is uh, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania. Uh, but anybody moving from New Jersey, New York or Pennsylvania going to anywhere in the continental U.S., we service long distance moves as well and specialize them in them, in fact. Nice. Awesome. So thank you so much for being on the episode. Um, and thanks so much. Hey, thank you for having me. This podcast is mixed, mastered and produced by Brian Alexander in the Shedio.